Matthew, uh, Philip was asked to follow him, and he simply, the Gospels show that he simply just began to follow him. Similarly, in a mysterious way, Christ went by the uh, place where St. Matthew was working in his office, as we discussed, uh, I believe, a couple months ago. Um, and Christ came by where he was working and said, follow me. And St. Matthew got up, dropped everything he was doing, left his work right there on the spot, and began to follow Christ. Uh, so we, the Bible shows that he glanced at him, that Christ looked at him, and he mysteriously, uh, St. Matthew obeys and leaves all and follows Christ immediately. It's difficult, therefore, sometimes for us to imagine uh, the, or even comprehend the calling of Saints Matthew and Philip and the, you know how they just gave up their possessions. But God knows the situation of each and when someone's ready uh, for him to call him into the service for the service of the kingdom of God. Another disciple through questioning, so like in the case of Saint Nathaniel, where he asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But when Christ showed Nathaniel a small miracle that he saw him under the fig tree, it was enough for Saint Nathaniel, and immediately he began to serve and become his disciple. Others in the case of the two brothers, Saints Andrew and Saint Peter, the calling was very gradual. It didn't happen immediately. Saint Andrew, we read, was first introduced to the Lord by Saint John the Baptist, and began to follow Christ and to speak uh, to him, but he still didn't abandon his profession and become his disciple at that point. He then found his brother, St. Peter, and brought him to Jesus. And Peter here speaks to Christ. And also Christ at this point names him um, Peter instead of Cephas. Um, but they still don't leave anything, everything that they have and become his disciples. Then they attended the wedding of Cana of Galilee and saw the amazing miracle um, of turning water into wine. So they saw the initiation of the ministry of Christ. So they were present at that wedding. They probably heard the Sermon of the Mount. Um, and after this, many, like St. Augustine, even states that the healing of St. Peter's mother-in-law occurs before the beginning of their discipleship. So St. Peter also witnesses the healing at this miracle of his mother-in-law, which we read in the 11th hour uh, of the there. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, in the 11th hour. So St. Peter also witnesses the healing of his mother, the casting out of demons, all of the people who come to the house, the demons are confessing Christ as the Son of God. So he witnessed all of these things in a very personal and real way. He was like front row center uh, of this amazing spectacle that was occurring before his eyes. All of these encounters must have had, of course, a deep impression on him, but it wasn't enough to push him to become his disciple. Um, slowly, God was changing and you know, consecrating uh, St. Peter and St. Andrew. So finally, the two brothers, St. Peter and Andrew, witnessed this amazing miracle that we read about today, about the catching of the fish. And this, of course, we know, pushes them over the edge, and they leave all right there on the spot and become his disciples. So let's review today's gospel real quick. Our Lord was preaching, preaching near the shore of the west of the Sea of Galilee in a small lake called Gennesaret, which means the Garden of Riches. So from the Garden of Riches, Gennesaret, Christ was preaching. It was here that Christ was uh, teaching uh, everyone, and it was, of course, from the Garden of Riches, he gives us riches, because, of course, we know that the Gospels and the teachings of the Gospels are the true riches in this life. Uh, his life-giving teachings uh, makes many rich, providing a type of security and fulfillment in life that is incomparable with anything else or any of the other riches of the world. 
So to create some distance between himself and the, uh, the big multitude that was pushing up against him, he goes into St. Peter, Peter's boat and he pushes out a little bit from the shore to create that little bit of a distance and he begins to preach. So after they've been, um, after he was done, he asked St. Peter to do something really strange and not convenient for St. Peter. After they've been fishing for a long time and, and didn't catch anything, and after they already brought in the boats and have washed all their nets, uh, he tells St. Peter, launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. St. Peter, we read today, complains a little bit about it. He says that, you know, we've tried again and again, we didn't catch anything, but nevertheless, he, you know, he tries to reason with Christ, but nevertheless, he still obeys Christ and does what Christ tells him to do, even though it didn't make sense in his mind. After they launched into the deep, they catch an amazing amount of fish so that the boat was beginning to sink and, and the nets were breaking and needing calls for another boat to come help and that begins to sink as well. Um, so it was an amazing catch that came out suddenly and abruptly. So this event is the final cause to prompt St. Peter along with St. Andrew and the other two sons of Zebedee to become disciples. But it also has great symbolic meaning for us as well. The boat is the church which holds Christ and gives his life-giving teachings, his rich teachings that make us all rich from the garden of riches, which is heaven, of course. Launching the net into the deep to catch fish symbolizes the launching of the gospel to those who are in deep in darkness. Just like the fish were down below in darkness and, and the, the apostles brought them up into the light, um, the same thing uh, occurs in our lives as well as the lives of uh, the, the many, many countless people that the apostles converted. Um, they, those who were in deep in darkness and bringing them to the light. So it kind of foreshadowed of what the apostles would do to the whole world. Um, they would gather the whole world in the nets of the gospel and bring them to the light. As Christ says, you will now be fishers of men. And this is exactly what the apostles did. So it foreshadowed uh, the apostles. It also foreshadowed those who would come after the apostles, including all the legendary saints from our church history. Those saints who performed great, amazing wonders and works to bring uh, people close to God, right? And, and those included our relatives from many, many generations ago, right? So it's not something far from us. It's, you know, they converted our relatives from many centuries ago. Um, it also foreshadows us as well on a very personal level. We're, we're supposed to be launching out into the deep with the nets of the gospel of our Lord so that we, that many who are in the depth of darkness can be also brought into the light. So it's our job to do that as well. We should consider everyone in our sphere of life and bringing the gospel to them. Even when it's not convenient and easy or comfortable to do it, we should be prepared to do it because God loves those people in your sphere of life, at school, at work, at club sports, or any other circles in our life that exist. Ask them to come to church to experience that uh, good news of Christ. Um, never underestimate or feel like those people that you're dealing with outside the church have no place uh, to, to these blessings that we receive today. They do, and God cares for them and loves them just like he loves us, and, and would love you to share in the work of the apostles and the labor of the apostles. So share in this work and labor that the apostles had to become fishers of men. But fish wasn't the only thing that was caught that day as we read today. When St. Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
So once he realized the greatness of God, and he probably recounted all the other wonders that Christ did that he saw as Christ was gradually working on him. Um, but he also at the same time probably thought about all of his own shortcomings, his own sins, and his own uh, maybe shameful past. So he couldn't bear it. You know, it didn't make sense. The equation wasn't computing in his in his brain. The greatness of God and his sins, you know, how unworthy and how shameful he felt, and the greatness of God and who he was, and he was right there on his boat. He was in his house. It didn't make sense for him. He couldn't grasp that great distance between the greatness of God and our shamefulness. There's a big difference between the two. He couldn't bear to think or grasp of that, what we call the vast abyss between God's greatness and holiness and our current state of unworthiness. So much so that he, it caused him to fall down at his knees, right? And overcome with despair because of the greatness of that gap. Christ's presence there on the boat performing this miracle was personal to him and, and others also that were on the boat and the nearby boat as well. And his gross unworthiness was also very personal to him. That equation wasn't computing and he fell down at Christ's knees. So he asked, he does something strange. He asked Christ to depart. He says, I can't, this doesn't make any sense to me. Please leave me right now. I can't bear it. Please leave me. He actually asked Christ to leave him because he couldn't wrestle with the thought of the greatness of God and his own unworthiness. How can it be that God's holiness and greatness performing this miracle on my boat, casting out demons and healing the sick in my house. I can't bear that. I can't understand that. And so he asked Christ to depart so that equation can still kind of make sense in his mind. He comprehended Christ's greatness and similarly to what Manoah, when we read in the Old Testament, Manoah was Samson's father. Uh, and he said to his wife after encountering the angel, we surely shall die because we have seen God. We surely shall die because we have seen God. With Peter, Christ quickly closes that, uh, that big gap though by comforting words and tells him, do not be afraid. St. Peter here represents all of humanity, including you and, you and I. There's a great barrier between our unworthiness and, and Christ's presence among us with all of his greatness and his gifts that he gives us. There's a great gap because he is present with us in many ways, right? If we think about the many ways that Christ is present with us through the chrismation that we receive at baptism, he's with us at all times, even during our greatest weaknesses. Uh, he's with us on the Eucharist, on the, on the altar, which we'll receive today. He's with us through scripture when we read scripture and hear him. Through prayer, because he promises to be amongst us when two or three are gathered together in his name. Through time, even unto the end of age, he promises to be with us always. Christ tells us during this time not to be afraid when we consider our own sins and shortcomings. For he's overcome this great barrier on the cross. He wants us, he wants us to be with him and he wants to be in our midst. Which is why he's called Emmanuel. This is the very purpose why he came. He's called Emmanuel, which of course means God is with us. It may have happened to us when we encounter Christ. If you guys have all experienced this, when you encounter Christ, uh, the Bible uh, and the church teach us to consider his greatness. In our prayers and our doxologies and our glorification hymns, we do this often. We consider the greatness of God to the extent that words can glorify him. We have some amazing and very powerful 
prayers and words and hymns that we, we always say. So we do consider his greatness at all times. But at the same time, the Bible and the church teaches us to consider and recall our own weaknesses, right? To, to always evaluate ourselves, to know who we are, and to ask God for help during even our greatest weaknesses. Uh, the Bible teaches us to the, even to the point of uh, tears and to shivering to, uh, to understand our own weaknesses. Um, during the divine liturgy, the deacon proclaims to stand with the fear, stand with fear and, and trembling, right? If the Bible's gospel's message stopped there, we would despair like St. Peter did and asking God to depart because we wouldn't be able to bear the great abyss between God's greatness and our unworthiness. But the church and the Bible also teaches us a third thing, that we must remember Christ's gentle and comforting words, do not be afraid. He always wants to be with us. He is great, and yes, we are sinful, but he closes that gap with his love and his presence with us at all times, saying, we're very comforting and very gentle, do not be afraid, as he tells St. Peter today. And this St. Peter did when he heard the Savior's voice, do not be afraid, from now on, you will be catchers of men. You will catch men. So when they had brought, so that when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Throughout all the encounterings with Christ and all that he heard about him and saw that he was doing, it was here that he finally was convinced that they should forsake all and follow him. Peter, Andrew, and the two sons of Zebedee. They left their professions and their possessions at the height of Peter's success. At the height of his success. When he had the two boatloads of fish, it's when he called St. Peter, and then that's when St. Peter accepted. One may say that it would have been easier if Christ would have called him like earlier that day, and St. Peter said, you know what, I might as well be a disciple. This fishing thing isn't working out for me, right? But no, he asked him after the fishing was successful through God's grace, and after he saw the, the like, you know, when you count how much money that those two boatloads uh, of fish must have been worth the monetary value of that. This is when he uh, departed all of that and became a disciple. Um, you know, it's service is never without a sacrifice. When we put our hands on the plow to serve, it's always including giving something up. It wouldn't be true service if we didn't feel like we're giving something up. Our time, our resources, um, our relationships. Sometimes we give those things up because we want to serve, and that, that's the Holy Spirit working inside of us. <clears throat> so at the height of his success, that's where he leaves. Um, and after the catch is when St. Peter left all and followed him. And the prophetic words of Christ came true. They did become fishers of men. They launched into the deep of the world, not just the shores of Israel, but throughout the whole world. They went through the world casting their nets, and their nets were full of uh, fish, right? Full of men, because they converted the whole world. Them and their successors, of course. Thousands of years of very complex paganism and idolatry that was deep-rooted in Europe and in Africa and Asia Minor. Um, all of that disappeared, only with Christianity and through the preaching of the apostles. We're all called by Christ to follow him and to be with him. Maybe not all of us will be disciples and apostles, not all priests or deacons or Sunday school teachers, but we're all called to follow him. So what is this calling that applies to all of us? And it's probably the most important calling for all of us. It's what St. Peter uh, almost lost when he said, uh, depart from me, O Lord. Because first and foremost, Christ wanted to be with St. Peter. 
previously at his house and now on his boat, he wants to be present with Peter. And when St. Peter asked him to depart out of fear, Christ told him, gently, do not be afraid. Only then did he say that he will be a fisher of men. But before he'd be a fisher of men, St. Peter would first be with Christ. He would first be with Christ and then become a fisher of men. And this is the call for all of us, the greatest call that any human being can ever have. Not to be a disciple or a priest or a deacon or, or any other role in the church, but simply to be with him, to be with Christ. No matter what reality uh, our life is or how shameful or troubling we think it is, uh, God knows our weaknesses, our shamefulness, our sinful condition. He's not scandalized by them and doesn't condemn us and calls us all to be with him all the same. As Psalm 103 says, as a father pities his children, the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He gives us the means by which we can uh, be with him in this life and even forever. He gives us his words through scripture. He gives us his body through the Eucharist. He gives us that renewed human nature through baptism. He gives us the Holy Spirit through the chrismation. And more than uh, you know, coming just to our house or to our boat, if we have one, uh, more than that, he dwells even inside of our hearts. He gives us the lives of those who have gone before us, and we learn about him through that, through the church fathers and mothers who have gone before us, so that we can follow their footsteps. He gives us our own personal experiences as well, that we can grow in our relationship with him, calling us all to be with him. This is our calling that we should all live in, and if we don't, we've missed out on the calling. To be with him and to be with each other in unity to be with the body of believers in unity, which is the body of Christ. We need to respond to this calling. More than, uh, more than even calling of the, what job we should have or who we should marry or what school I should go to or where I should live and all those other things that we struggle with in life. All these things are great to seek out God's will, but let's not forget the most important, which is regarding God's will for us to just simply be with him and to live with him who gives us the grace, the peace, and the assurance, and that true and blessed life, the joy, and the fulfillment of life. This is what Christ gives us, to whom be the glory forever.